Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Watauga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. One of my friends, uh, a pastor friend, posted on Facebook this week that he had a couple visitors to his home early in the week, and he knew when they showed up uh, with the kind of literature that they had in his hand that they were uh, of the Jehovah's Witness faith, And uh, knowing a little bit about that faith, uh, he entered into a conversation with them talking about his faith and where he, what he believes in the Lord and what he believes about Christ. And ultimately, one of the two uh, shared with him, well, we really believe uh, the same thing. And he said, well, no, we really don't because I believe that Jesus is God. And they said, well, we do too. And he said, well, no, you don't. You believe that Jesus is a God, not that Jesus is God, that he is a part of the Trinity, that he was in the same essence as God the Father and God the Spirit. And uh, in fact, even your Bible, uh, the New World Translation, you have adjusted the, the, uh, the articles in John chapter one, we preached a few weeks back, actually a couple months ago, where John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the New World Translation, they've included the article A. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. And there's a reason for that, because they believe uh, that Jesus was a God, one of many gods, and ultimately that if we follow their faith and walk through the right steps, that we all can be gods and be gods over our own planets. And so to, to a large extent, we don't believe the same thing, but it seems so close. Jesus today, and, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, is dealing with leadership, Christian leadership, who believes in God, but they will not accept him as God, as the one true God. And as we walk through the gospel of John, you've noticed one of the themes is John's emphasis on the deity of Christ. I titled the message today, you see it up on the screen, any faith that does not honor Jesus is misplaced faith. In fact, I originally titled the message this week, any faith that does not honor Jesus condemns someone to hell. (laughs) And ultimately that is true and we'll work through that as we get through this text. I felt like I'd soften it uh, for the, uh, the overall title that I wanted to put out there. But any faith that claims any less of a position for Jesus than God that doesn't honor him as God, is not true Christian faith. It's misplaced faith. Read with me the text of John chapter 5, verses 17, uh, down through verse 30 this week. Verse 17 and 18, you may, if you were here last week, will notice it's kind of a transition text, going back to what we dealt with last week. Last week we saw the third sign in the Gospel of John with Jesus' healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda and followed that up with the, the conflict that that caused between Jesus and the Jewish leadership because he healed that man on the Sabbath day and told that man to pick up his mat and the man carried his mat to the temple to worship on the Sabbath day. Created all kinds 
kinds of problems for Jesus there. And so you'll see this transition here uh, in verses 17 and 18. Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is my father's working on the Sabbath day and I'm working as my father works on the Sabbath day. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. One of the things to remember here, as Jesus uses various words and images to try to help us understand that he is one with the Father, remember who he's talking to. The Jews have already gotten upset. These Jewish leaders have already gotten upset because just what he has done and said already, they believe that he's claiming to be God or equal with God the Father. And so you will see in some of the language as we read down here where it seems like Jesus is saying, well, I'm the son and I do what the Father tells me to do. And you see other places where he says, the Father's given me authority over things that, that I run now and he doesn't run. Ultimately, what Jesus is communicating is his unique oneness with the Father. And he's putting that in words that the Jewish leadership will not have any question about who he's claiming to be. So I'll read on. Jesus replied, I tell you, the, uh, uh, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so Jesus gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing of my own. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Our world is filled with religious ideas, pathways that men have made up, that they will claim this path or that path, this faith or that faith, will get you somehow to eternal life or eternal bliss. A few years ago in, in 2012, when I was preparing to go to India on a few mission trips, I remember uh, some of the missionaries talking to me and others about how many gods are worshiped in India. And every time that I think about this, I have to go look it back up because it just seems overwhelming. There are at least 33 million Hindu gods. And we can't even imagine that from our culture and our faith. Uh, 
and like I said, I have to look every time. In fact, even today, I went back and I thought, I've got to make sure I get this right. All you got to do is a simple Google search. How many gods are there in Hinduism? The first article that comes up says 33 million Hindu gods. There's a God of everything, a God in control of everything. God's in control of other gods. It's a huge plethora of gods who were worshipped. Even in our, in our culture, there are gods of, of atheism, gods of, of, of secular gods. There's, there, there are all kinds of pathways of faith. Some will say that no faith is the best faith. Ultimately, though, God's word tells us that there is one true God. He expresses himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if for there to be any faith that does not elevate the name of Jesus, it is false religion or false faith. I want to look at this text. We'll walk through with three primary truths that I want you to three. I want you to see. The first one is this: Jesus is truly God. In fact, He is the one true God. This is a theme all throughout the Gospel of John, as we've already said. You see Him claim it as He claims to be one in essence with the Father. The Jewish leadership struggle with that idea, and He expresses it this way. He said. Uh, I, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Look in verse 19. Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but whatever he sees the Father doing. So Jesus says, I'm only going to do what I see the Father doing, what the Father's told me to do. He is so connected with the Heavenly Father that he, he does exactly and only what the Father has told him and empowered him to do. How many of us could say as Christians that this week I only did what the Father told me to do. I only did, I did, I, I did everything that the Father told me to do, and I only did what the Father told me to do. Oh, that we could say that. Ultimately, even as we seek to pursue Christ with all of our hearts and all of our attention and all of our focus, we are not of the same essence of God that Jesus was. And so Jesus goes a little bit further as he expresses that, not only can he only, not only does he only do what he sees the Father doing, look at the last half of verse 19, whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. The Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing and he'll show him greater works than these. Just as the Father has power, just as the Father raises the dead and give them life, so the Son has that power to give him life. So only, not only does Jesus only do what the Father tells him to do, Jesus is the only one who can do everything that the Father can do. It's a part of the same thought, but just as Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do, Jesus is the only one that can do everything the Father's told him to do. Because he's the only one who has the power of life within himself. Just as the Father has life within himself, the Son has life within himself. That's why John can say in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, when he's talking about Jesus. And the Word became flesh, in verse 14, and dwelt among us, so that we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father. 
And that's why Jesus can say later on in, in John chapter 8, when he's dealing with these uh, the leaders, these Jewish leaders, and he's talking about how he knew Abraham. And they said, how did you know Abraham? Abraham lived thousands of years ago. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. No question whatsoever that Jesus does what the Father told him to do. Jesus is the only one who does everything that the Father can, told him to do because he's of the same essence of the Father because he and the Father are one. John chapter 17 is one of the places that you see that most clearly expressed in Jesus' prayer. Jesus, in John chapter 17, prays for God to be glorified through his crucifixion. Then he, he's at the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he prays uh, for those disciples, his immediate disciples who are following him, who are there on the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane with him. He's praying for them. And then in verse 20, he turns his attention to pray for us. I'm going to read just a short part of that part of his prayer. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they might be one... As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. That they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, just that they may be one just as we are one. Christ prays for us that we might have unity within the church, unity among believers, and he prays that that unity would reflect the oneness that he experiences with his Father, God, that essence of oneness. Christ is the one true God. Now, at this point, Jesus has not fleshed out for us the third person of the Trinity. We see him do that later on in the Gospel of John. In, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, right before he dies, he tells his disciples, he said, now, I've got to leave but don't be afraid. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. When I leave, I'm going to return. I'm, I'm, I'm going to return as my father's going to send my spirit. And, and my spirit is going to be with you and he's going to be in you. And he's going to be called the comforter. He's the Holy Spirit who's going to come. And so Jesus expresses this, this unity of essence between the father, the son, and the spirit. Christ is the one true God. And because Christ is the one true God, any faith that does not elevate and honor the name of Christ is false religion. It's misplaced faith. And that's the next main point. To honor God means we must honor Jesus. To honor God means you must honor Jesus. False religion will lead us away from one true God, and false religion comes in all kinds of packages. I, missed a, I mentioned a couple at the beginning of the message. Let me mention another one. And some of these, in fact, I'll mention a couple others that may step on some toes a little bit. I grew up, we grew up in the Bible, many of you did, not all of you. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I grew up in uh, central Texas, and, and I don't know how often I've heard folks refer to the man upstairs. People that will never darken the door of a church will say they don't need church. And of course, the struggle with that is I, I can worship on a mountain. I can worship in a valley. I can sit out in a deer stand and watch the sunrise and worship God. But God has ordained his church as the place for us to come together and grow and abide together and fellowship together. And, and he has ordained his church to further his kingdom 
in the world. And so to say I can worship God anywhere is true, but to say that I can serve God without being intimately connected to the body of Christ and his church is false. And so I, I, I grew up around a lot of people who were like that, who would say, well, you know, we, we, I believe in the man upstairs and I pray to him. And, but you very rarely or never hear the name of Jesus mentioned. And so people will, will, that, that will never darken the door of the church, that will claim Christianity, will claim that they're a Christian at some level, will ask you to pray when they go into the hospital, or they'll, all, they'll come to the loss of a loved one, a, a brother, a son, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a mom, or dad, who has never claimed the name of Christ, who has never submitted to the claims of Christ, who has never read scripture to the point that they have repented of their sin, that they've confessed Christ as Savior, and they've turned to him to follow him, they'll say, oh, but grandma so-and-so got her angel wings today. She's in heaven. Well, sadly, the truth is she's probably not. And certainly if she never honored Jesus through submission and repentance, and surrendered her life to Christ as the one true God, she's been led astray by false religion. False religion can come in all kinds of packages. False religion can come in the package of pluralistic religion, multiple paths. Or some will say, oh, there's many, many ways to worship God. We're all on the same path. It doesn't matter if you worship Muhammad, or if you worship Buddha, or if you worship one of these many other gods of the Hindus, as long as you're sincere in your worship, you're going to be okay. Well, that's just not true. Jesus is the one true God. He's in one essence with the Father, and unless one honors Christ, Jesus Christ as the Son of God, He is chasing a false religion and will be led astray. Any religion, this is the next step. False religions will lead us away from one true God. Any religion that minimizes Christ's deity, Christ's lordship over our lives is a false religion. For a thousand years of history since Christ, the dominant faith that claimed Christianity was more of a cultural phenomenon than it was a true religion. And, and through the, the reign of the Middle Ages, and the medieval times, through the reign of the church where it was a state church, a church run by the state and connected to the state and controlled by the state, much of what was taught and preached through the Catholic church, especially through that thousand years, was false religion. It even led to things such as this, that if you'll, you truly need to worship Mary because Mary had to be holy to have the son that she had. And so Mary became an object of worship. Any faith that elevates anything else above Jesus and doesn't elevate and honor the name of Christ as the one true God is a false religion. Now, don't get me wrong. My, my wife uh, grew up in the Catholic faith. 
But ultimately, she never heard this truth that Jesus was the one true God. She heard a watered-down version that claimed a form of Christianity but did not claim Christ as the one true God who was worthy of her worship that she needed to repent to, repent to from her sin and, and surrender. And when she did, she came to faith in Christ. Don't get me wrong. There, there are people in, in this very congregation who I've talked to that came to true faith, surrendered their life to Christ, gave their life to Christ knowing who he was as, their, as one true God in the Catholic Church while they were still Catholic, while they were still faithful in the Catholic Church. And, and, and I have friends that, that are of that. But the problem is, the plethora of teaching, if it does not fully honor Christ as the one true God, but raises up other objects of worship, it's not true faith. We live in a time where even folks who call themselves evangelicals, who will claim Christ they may claim Christ as their Lord and Savior, but what you see coming out of their lives is they submit, they subject their belief in Christ to something else, maybe to their secular humanism. We live in a political day right now. I see far too many Christians who call themselves Christians who surrender our faith, surrender our hearts to a donkey or to an elephant instead of to Jesus. And if you're willing to submit, surrender what you believe Jesus has taught and what Jesus has said and who Jesus is, if you're willing to surrender that to a political system, you'll be led astray from the true faith of Jesus Christ as the one true God and one true Lord. I got a little bit more specific in the early service and I promised myself I was gonna be a little bit more careful here. We must, as Christians, point to Christ as the one who's worthy of our worship, the one who's worthy of our commitment, the one who is worthy of us following and not in some way be led astray because we're afraid. Look, I've said years ago, probably the, we'd reached a point in our nation where the only true hope of real revival in these United States of America is if we saw a horrible, severe depression so that people would quit following their consumerism and turn their hearts toward Jesus for their only hope as Lord and Savior. Do I want to go through a great depression? No, I'd love, I want my kids to be blessed as I've been blessed in this wonderful nation. But our nation has surrendered to a false religion. And sadly, many who sit in our pews we have surrendered to a false religion and given up the commitment to the faithfulness to the word of Jesus Christ that he is the one true God and he's our standard bearer. Third, and this, 
really becomes the most important part. I, I struggled this week as I talked to the staff because the, the essence of this text, and, and I want to be true to the text of the Word of God and what I communicate in the sermon. The essence of this text was not as practical as some of the others that we've read. It's, it's a little bit more theological. It, it, he's dealing with his, his connection to the Heavenly Father, but here's the practical point. And this honestly is the most practical point that you could ever hear from any message anywhere. Eternal life comes only through Jesus. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ, and eternal life comes only through Jesus. Every one of us has one condition. We're all terminal. We all share that. We may not all have the same terminal illness that's going to get us there, but we all are terminal in one way or another. One of these days, we're going to take our last breath on this earth, and we're going to stand before God. And, and I'm gonna, let me flesh this out. I'm, I'm tempted to get to the end before I, before I walk through it. First is this. Jesus has the right and the ability to grant eternal life because it has been given to him by the Father. Start back with me in verse 20 to we get this context. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. And he'll give him greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. In fact, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son so that all the people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He goes on to say in verse 25, Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. Jesus tells us that as the Father has life in himself, so also is he granted it to the Son of Man to have life in himself. And then verse 27, and he granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. So there's a couple things that I want you to, to see here, and, and this is crucial. Jesus is the one who has the right and the ability to grant eternal life. Even to the extent that the Father no longer is going to sit in judgment. He's given that right to the Son. Why is he given that right to the Son? We spent a long time walking through the book of Hebrews, and essentially what Hebrews communicates to us is because Jesus stepped out of heaven, and as one of my favorite preachers had said, he, he made the stars into a staircase, and he, he stepped down onto this earth and entered into the womb of a virgin named Mary to be born of flesh, to walk among us, to feel and to suffer and to die to bleed and, and to live a human existence incarnate among us and experience what we've experienced. And then after he died, because there was life in him that, that death, hell, and the grave could not extinguish, he rose again up out of the grave victorious over death. Why is it that the Father gave him the right to judge? Because he's been here He's done it, and he over he excelled, and he rose up out of the grave. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And so the Father has given the Son the right to judge. The Father has given the Son the right to grant eternal life. And there is, no, there is eternal life in no other name, Peter tells us in Acts 4, other than the name of Jesus. Jesus said later on, 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus and Jesus alone has the right to grant eternal life. Why is that important? Goes back to the title of the sermon and the central theme of this passage. Christ, Jesus Christ and the Father are one. When Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, when Jesus was there at creation, when Jesus walked on this earth, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus rose again, when Jesus returns, the beginning and the end and every point in between Christ bore the same essence as his father. He is God. And he is the one who has the right to give eternal life. There is no one who gains eternal life outside of the name of Jesus. What that means is some ethereal, mysterious belief in the man upstairs isn't enough. And I am convinced that I've been asked to preach and stood by the grave of loved ones, sometimes even extended family members, who only were aware in some way of the man upstairs. They did not know, confess, submit to, surrender, or honor Christ as their Lord and Savior. In any religion or unreligion, so any faith in something other than that doesn't honor the name of Christ is false religion. It's false hope. Because eternal life comes through Jesus, the one true Son of God, the one true Lord. This text gets a little confusing when you read it because there's a couple places here where it sounds like Jesus is talking about dead people right then. Verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, verse 21, and just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so does the son give life to whom he wants. Then you look down at verse 24 and 25, he says, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but pass from death to life. Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here. It's when Jesus was talking to him. It is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What's he talking about dead people hearing his voice? Well, I believe what he's talking about here are those who are standing right in front of him who are spiritually dead and don't even know it. There's a scene from a movie that I've seen this scene probably a hundred times. I've never seen the movie. Kevin brought it up this week. He was amazed that I hadn't seen the movie. It's the movie The Sixth Sense, and uh, you'll recognize it as Bruce Willis. Uh, Bruce Willis is playing the character of a man named Malcolm Crow, and there's a little boy, in in this scene, he's in bed. And uh, Malcolm, or or Cole Sears, the the little boy, and he says, uh, I see dead people. And Bruce Willis says, in your dreams, while you're awake, dead people like in graves and in coffins? And the little boy Cole Sears says, walking around like regular people, they don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead. 
How often do you see them? All the time. I believe Jesus was talking to people just like that who were standing in front of him, who worshiped a God that they did not know, but they were unwilling to honor Jesus as his son. And those people were spiritually dead and did not know it because they only saw what they wanted to see. I believe that every day this week, you're gonna go to work or you're gonna go to a store, you're gonna go to a marketplace and you're gonna be surrounded by people who are spiritually dead and they don't know it. And many of them will remain spiritually dead because they only hear what they wanna hear and they only see what they want to see. Even if like these same religious leaders, even when they saw, not long after this, Jesus raised somebody up out of the grave who had been dead for four days, who was wrapped in grave cloths, when they rolled back the stone and, and Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus walked out of the grave, still wrapped in the grave claws like a mummy. And Jesus had to say, go unwrap him. People were standing around so amazed. There were religious people there who worshiped a God, but refused to honor Jesus, who only saw what they wanted to see. And what they saw was a threat to their finances. They saw a threat to their religious view. And so their response was not, oh my goodness, he must be God. He has life in himself. He just raised a guy up out of the grave who had been dead four days. Their response was, we've got to kill him now. We've got to get rid of him. Because he's a threat to our religion. He's a threat to our worldview. He's a threat to our income. Because they weren't worshiping a true God, though they were worshiping Jehovah God of the Old Testament, when, or they said they were, Jesus said, the proof is, you know how I know that you're not worshiping my father? Because if you were worshiping my father, you'd honor me. Jesus is of the same essence of the father, and unless you are submitting to and worshiping Jesus as your Lord, you are, you are being led astray by false faith. I don't care if you claim the title of Baptist, Christian, Methodist, Catholic. If you have not submitted your heart and your life to Jesus and honored Christ with your life, you've submitted to a false faith. Back up just a second, because we, we're in a mess right now in our country. We, we, some of us are going to have to go vote to one of two guys that we don't believe either one of them. There's any evidence in their life that either one of them is walking in true faith. The evidence just isn't there. And so for me, as a struggle as a pastor, I see this on Facebook. I see it all over the place. I see it in social media. I see it in the news. I'm gonna, I believe in the, the democratic, the democracy of the United States. I'm gonna have to make a choice and place a vote based on a platform 
from a party that I believe most aligns with what Scripture aligns with, and, and that's where I have to put my faith. But I cannot stand in the pulpit, and I cannot, cannot go out on Facebook or social media and, and claim to support either of one, two candidates profusely, because to do that, I believe, in some ways, I have to deny what Jesus has said. I can support a platform or what I believe somebody may do, but, but I cannot submit myself to honor someone who will not honor Christ. So be careful in your words. Be careful in your social media posts. Be careful in how you express your political view. Because if you come out looking like you worship the donkey or the elephant more than you worship Jesus, you're still following a false religion. Christ and Christ alone is worthy of our worship. And it is only in Christ that you're going to gain eternal life. This world is temporary. Our lives are temporary. They're like a vapor, Scripture says. And as much as this life is temporary, this election season is even more temporary. Don't surrender your faith and don't surrender what you believe about Jesus to a political party or a view. Christ and Christ alone is worthy of our honor and worship and it is only in him that we'll find eternal life. You may think your bank account's going to get better by voting one way or the other, but you're not going to find eternal life in any politician or in any government structure. And eternal life is the one practical thing taken from this text, from this sermon that matters. Jesus and Jesus alone is God. And any religion that minimizes Christ's lordship misses the point. Finally, Jesus raises the spiritually dead. He gives life to those who are walking around spiritually dead and don't even know it. But Jesus also has the power to resurrect the dead. And he goes on to say that later on in this voice. And there is going to be a resurrection from the dead. Just this week, we celebrated the life of Marsha Bunn. Marsha Bunn was a, a faithful church member here, even though she had a horrible uh, uh, lung disease. I, when I came here as pastor almost, almost 16, 15 and a half years ago now, uh, she was struggling with this lung disease. We didn't know that she was was going to live through that year. And, and even though uh, the last time I saw her, she was confined to a hospital bed. She knew that, that she wasn't going to be long before she took her last breath. She was confessing and praising and giving honor to the name of the Lord Jesus and grateful for the life that he had given her and looking forward to meeting him face to face because she knew that when she took her last breath on this earth, she was going to take her first glimpse of heaven. But Jesus takes us even beyond that because I believe what scripture teaches as a whole is that one of these days there's gonna come a resurrection of the physical body. Scripture says that there's gonna come a day when Jesus returns and he is gonna create a new heaven and a new earth on which only righteousness dwells. There's no sin. He's gonna give those who are alive and remain at that time are, are gonna be raised up to meet Jesus in the air. We, we refer to it as the the the... I've lost the term. The rapture. We're going to be raptured to meet Jesus in there. But before we even get raptured, 1 Thessalonians 4 says that those who have died, those bodies who are in the grave, Marcia, whose ashes are over there at Dallas National Cemetery, she's going to be given a new body, 
a body that'll never get sick, that won't have any breathing problems, that won't have cancer, that will not die, that's going to be perfectly suited for the new spirit that God's given her, that he's going to bring with him. He's gonna, she's going to be reunited. She's going to have a physical bodily resurrection because Jesus is the Lord of the living. And he says that there's going to be a resurrection. Just as those who are walking around dead that don't even know it are going to be given new life, those who are in the grave are going to be raised up out of the grave and are going to be given new life. But everyone, hear this. And this is where our world struggles and this is where we as many Christians struggle. Everyone's going to be resurrected. Some resurrected to judgment and some resurrected to life. Everyone is going to stand before the throne of God. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and Christ alone to honor him will be resurrected to eternal life. Jesus is the one true God and any faith that minimizes Christ as Lord is misplaced faith and it leads you down a road of condemnation. Hey folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you are encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged about hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.